Elijah read from Isaiah 40, and I hope that will make sense before we're done tonight. But go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 6. We've been spending our Sunday nights walking through the book of Esther. and We've been going a chapter a night. Uh, we've got tonight and one more lesson that's going to overview these last five chapters when everything sort of comes together. And so I hope tonight will be a good study. We've been back in 475 B.C., just about. I've got some of the timeline, the Old Testament timeline things that... Uh, remember, B.C. counts backwards as we go forward. So Jerusalem has been destroyed. God's people have been into captivity. They've started going back to Jerusalem, but not everybody. And in fact, Esther's family did not go back uh, for whatever reason. Mordecai and his family did not go back. They stayed here in Babylon. And now Persia is in charge. And so Ezra is still going to go back here in just 15 years from where we're at as we study this. Nehemiah is going to go back 13 years after that. So in the middle of all this going back to rebuild, you have Esther here in Persia and God working in her life. And one of the things that I hope we're seeing, we'll really see it in tonight's lesson, it, Esther shows us Romans 8, 28 in its fullest form where it says we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. If you have ever gotten a picture of God as if He is someone who created the world and then just left and just let it do its own thing, it's not how the Bible describes God. The Bible describes God as very involved. And, and while we still have choice, you have choice, I have choice, and God is having to work through our choices, good and bad. God is still involved and He's pulling things together. If you noticed in the extended scripture reading tonight from Proverbs 16, uh, in the Proverbs, you know, every verse hangs by itself, so it's hard to have a context, but there's a cluster of Proverbs in that little section that all talk about how God is really in control of His world. And while you may have a plan, the final answer is going to come from God. And while you may have an idea, the final answer is going to come from God. And we're really going to see that tonight, as I've called tonight's study from chapter 6 and 7, God's perfect timing. So we'll do what we've done in all these studies. We're going to walk through what happens, do some Bible reading together, remind ourselves of what God has done here, and then I've got three lessons at the end that I hope we'll take home from this section of Scripture. So let's start going through Esther chapter 6 and 7. If you have your Bible, you may want to have the whole context open in front of you, but I do have the verses here on the screen. Let's remind ourselves of where we're at. Um, we do have tonight and then just one more lesson. I hope everybody got the word, by the way. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. And so uh, with it being such a big travel day and family day, we will have our normal morning services, Bible class at 9, worship at 10. But there will not be a 5 p.m. worship next Sunday night. Um, we, so we won't finish Esther next Sunday night, but we will finish it uh, perhaps the Sunday night after that in the devotional part of a singing night. But here's what I want us to remind ourselves of as we get to this second to last lesson. This is a big day as you get to Esther chapter 6. Because just yesterday, Esther has finally gone before the king. You remember Mordecai had come. Haman has put out the decree. We're going to kill all the Jews at a certain day and about 11 months away. And so Mordecai says to Esther in chapter 4, maybe this is why you're here. This is why God puts you here. And Esther sends back word to say, you know, you're right. I'm going to go before the king, and if I die, I die. You don't just walk into the king in those days. She says, if I die for doing the right thing, I'll die for doing the right thing. And so she went in yesterday, and the king extended his scepter, so she was not killed. And he said, what do you want? You can have up to half the kingdom. She said, all I want is to go to a banquet today. 
you and Haman and me. And so she had a banquet prepared. They all went to the banquet. And the king asked at the banquet, what do you want up to half the kingdom? She says, I just want you to come back tomorrow for another banquet. And so we've gotten to that tomorrow as the day dawns on Esther chapter 6. But one other important thing happened yesterday. Haman went home from that banquet. And as he's walking home, remember he saw Mordecai who would not stand up in this occasion, wouldn't stand up in honor of Haman. And that just drove him crazy. So I can't stand that Mordecai does not bow to me. And if you remember, he, he calls his friends and his wife and he tells them how great he is. Remember that conversation? Let me tell you all the glories I have. And even today, Esther invited just me and the king. That's how great I'm doing. But every time I see Mordecai, he says it's not worth it. And so they give him a plan. What, what, a, what a terrible group of friends surrounding Haman. They say, you know what you ought to do? The king listens to you. Have him killed. You, you put a gallows outside and, and make it big, 50 cubits big, seven-story building, and, and you hang him, you kill him on that. Ask the king if you can kill him. He'll say yes. And so as Haman goes to sleep at the end of Esther 5, they're building the gallows outside his house. And he's ready to go into the king that next morning to say, can I have Mordecai killed? So these days are converging. Do you see that? Esther's day to ask for her people's deliverance. Haman's day to ask for Mordecai to be killed. And it's all coming together. All the pieces have come together. And as that perfect time comes together, the king has a sleepless night. As Esther chapter 6 begins. Let me read the first three verses. It says, During that night, the king could not sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So that's interesting. If, you're, if you can't sleep and you're the king, you say, bring me the list of all the things I've done. And that, that, I guess that he assumes it will put him to sleep. But, but as they're reading through the chronicles of what he has done in his kingdom, it was found written what Mordecai had reported concerning Bigthana and Tiresh, two of the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers, that they had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So do you remember that? Back in chapter 2, uh, Mordecai is just serving, at the, at, he's serving the king, and he finds out that these two guys were going to try to kill the king. And so he, he told him, he told the king, I, I've heard that this is what these guys were talking about. And so they looked into it, they found it to be true, and so they were killed. And so he's reminded of this. The night before all this happens, He's reminded of what Mordecai has done on this sleepless night. And so the king asked in verse 3, What honor or dignity has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing's been done for him. You know, we got the chronicles right here. We're looking through it. We never rewarded him. We never honored him. We never said anything about it. He saved your life and he was right, but we never did anything for him. And so the king's sleepless night, he is reminded. What an interesting coincidence that he is reminded of what Mordecai has done. Then you have the king's question for Haman. So day dawns. The sleepless night is over. He eventually goes to sleep. The records put him to sleep. Wakes up the next morning, goes into his throne room, and the king says, who is in the court? I, perhaps he could tell someone was out there. I don't know if there was a system to let him know someone was out there. But Haman has just entered the outer court of the king's palace, in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows which he had prepared for him. So again, you just think about how 
how different this was than Esther's going before the king. Esther, I told you, I imagine her taking a deep breath. Is it, you know, before you go in, because you're not supposed to just walk into the king, and she's asking for, for a special favor. I don't know what Haman's attitude was, but he's walking in, and his goal is very clear. I'm going to ask the king, can we have Mordecai killed? And so the king's servants tell the king, behold, Haman is standing in the court. The king said, let him come in. So Haman came in, and before he could even speak, the king says to him, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And here is Haman. You got to, I don't know if appreciates the right word. You got you to appreciate how Haman is so full of himself that he thinks the king's got to be talking about me. <laughs> I mean, who else are we going to... I, mean, I just told my family last night just how great I am. Like he, he probably has noticed just how great I am. And so the, Haman said to himself, whom would the king desire to honor more than me? And so Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king desires to honor, let them bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse on which the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown has been placed. And let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble princes and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor and lead him on horseback through the city square. And proclaim before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. So apparently this is what Haman thought he would like to have done for him. I'd like to have the king's robe and, and, and the crown and the horse and just walk me around and just telling everyone how great I am. And so now we find out Haman is going to have to do that for Mordecai. Haman has to honor Mordecai. And this is one of those things... Um, Maybe this is wrong with me, but you know, I've told you before, I, would, I w- would love to get to heaven and just ask God if we can see some of the things that happen in Scripture. Here's what it looked like. Um, I don't know if this is wrong with me. Put on the list. I want to see Haman's face when, when, these next, when these next couple verses happen. Because, you know, he's just so, this, I, this is what's going to be done for me. And the king says to Haman, take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not fall short in anything of all that you have said. And can you just imagine? I mean, can you just imagine the look on his face? You have, you've got to be kidding me. How, how is this possible? I, I wonder, you know, it doesn't tell everything here. I wonder if the king said, oh, by the way, did you have something you wanted to say? <laughs> no, never mind. No, never mind. Uh, but I, I just, I wish I... God has flipped this around. His timing is so perfect here. He's brought the perfect moment together. And so Haman does what he's told to do. He never asked to have Mordecai killed. He doesn't do any of that. He takes the robe and the horse. He arrayed Mordecai. He led him on horseback through the city square. And Haman himself had to proclaim before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. And that must have been hilarious. And so if you're Mordecai, I wonder if he had a little smirk on his face. Maybe not. Maybe he's better than I would have been. But but I wonder if he had a little smirk on his face as they walk him around the city. Um, And so Haman has to honor Mordecai, the one he wanted to have killed. God has brought this together perfectly. Haman then mourns with his wife and his friends. This is devastating to him. We just had the plan to have Mordecai killed. We were just going to fix this problem. 
And it got so much worse. I had to walk him around the city square telling everyone how great he is and how the king loves him and wants to honor him. Uh, I wish we could go back to when he just wasn't bowing to me when I walked through the streets. You know, it's gotten so much worse. Mordecai returned to the king's gate. One of the sources I've been looking at pointed out, maybe that's just an interesting statement about Mordecai's commitment to, to his job. He, he goes back to work. He's been led around on his horse and he goes back to the king's gate, back, back to work. But Haman hurried home, mourning with his head covered. He is devastated. He, he's been so full of pride and anger and bitterness that this is devastating for Haman. And so Haman brings his wife and friends together again. But it is not a, let me tell you how great I am. It is, let me tell you the terrible thing that just happened. And so it says, Haman recounted to Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Now, I've got several questions about that because it's not said, but I have assumed that when Haman was having the lot cast, the per cast for which date, We're going to have the Jews killed. I guess I've assumed those wise men were the one doing that. Maybe they weren't. But if if they knew, hey, the Jews are God's people in the Old Testament under that law. If they knew, hey, you're not going to be able to overcome them, they should have said this a long time ago. Like they should have spoken up when all this bitterness was coming up to have them killed by the king. But now, now that they see things unraveling, they say, if he's part of... God's people, I don't think you're going to be able to overcome them. And I don't know how they understood that, how they came to that conclusion, um, but they should have told him that a long time ago. So then what we have happen is Esther's second banquet. Remember that other big thing that was supposed to happen today? And she had finally gives her request to the king. So while they're still talking, uh, here in Esther chapter 6, verse 14, the last verse of this chapter, while they're still talking, Haman and his friends and his wife The king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. Chapter 7 begins, Now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther the queen, just like we did yesterday. And the king said to Esther on the second day also, as they drank their wine at the banquet, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of the kingdom... It shall be done. I think I told you last time. I don't think they meant that when they said it. I think that was just a nice way of saying, I want to give you what you ask for. Um, And so Queen Esther replies, verse 3, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. And at this point, the king has got to be thinking, I don't understand. Is, is your life in danger? Like, what, what, is, what is happening? For we have been sold, she goes on to say, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Listen to the humility she gives before the king here in this next section. Now, if we'd only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. For the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. Do you, do you hear that? If we were just going to be sold into slavery, I would, I would t- 
take that. But our lives are in danger here. King, I'm not bringing something trivial to you. This is really serious. Our lives are in danger. One reason this is important, don't forget, when Esther was being called in uh, to become part of the king's harem and potentially the queen, remember what Mordecai had told her while they were growing up? Don't tell them you're a Jew. Don't tell them who you are. He's got no clue. He's got no clue when he gave Haman this ability to just say, we've got a plan to wipe out all the Jews. He's got no clue that, that his queen is part of that. She says, we are, we are really in trouble. Then King Ahasuerus asked Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would presume to do thus? Do you, do you hear me? He's, he's ready to help. Who is the person who is trying to kill you and your people? I'm, I'm the king. I can take care of this. And Esther speaks up and right there at the table with them. Esther said, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. And again, can you imagine the look on his face? I mean, this has gone downhill really quickly. And Haman becomes terrified before the king and before the queen. This day has not gone like Haman thought this day was going to go. And he thought it, probably thought it couldn't get any worse with what happened this morning, walking Mordecai around. And now Esther, who he thought it was a great thing that he was asked to the banquet, now he sees what's going on. She wanted to point out he's the one who is trying to kill her and her people. And so then you have Haman's evil plans returned on to him. Remember, he was having this big gallows built to have Mordecai killed. All that's going to turn back on him. Verse 7, The king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. Here's what I think of on that. You ever have a, a moment... Uh, maybe I'm telling more about my childhood than I should. But you ever have a moment with your parents where like maybe your dad's so angry he just gets up and walks out of the room? Like that's what, I, that's what I picture in my mind here. The king is just so mad, he just gets up and walks out. Like I've got to think for a minute. And, and Haman sees it. He sees what's happening. Haman stays to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king now, when the king returned from the palace garden, so he walks out in the palace garden, don't know how long he's, he's fuming out there, but he comes back in. As he comes back into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Now, he's begging for his life. Please, I, I, I wish I knew what he's saying. I mean, what, what, do you, what do you even say? Like, this really happened. I'm sorry, I didn't know you were Jewish. I didn't know, you know, I, I wonder what he's even asking for here. Maybe we can fix this. We can find a way to fix it. And the king, as he comes in, he sees him falling down on the couch in front of Esther and makes another accusation. Will he even assault the queen with me in the house? It's not what Haman's trying to do, but things have really gone downhill for him. And as the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Sounds like somebody's got a bag or, or, a, or a shirt or something. And while the king was outside, he must have been making plans. We're, we're taking care of Haman. And as the king goes back in, the guards are ready. And as the king says one sentence, they cover his face and they're taking him out. And then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who served the king, said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. I don't know how Harbona knew that. 
I don't know how he, I mean, I guess maybe if you're building something that big, people notice <laughs> what's going on. If you have seven stories, you know, a cubit's about a foot and a half. So we're talking about 75 foot high stake. Somebody asked a great question last time. How do you, how do you get that thing up? I don't, know if, I don't know if you ever do barn raisings or something. You, you experts can answer that better than I can. People wonder if maybe you, you build it on the ground and then lift it up. I'm not sure how you do it, but people are maybe asking, what, what is that? So word has gotten around. Haman built this last night to have Mordecai killed on it. And so the king's eunuch tells him, and the king says, um, as, the, as the eunuch says, he was trying to kill Mordecai, who has done good for me. I was just reminded of that last night. Have him killed on those gallows. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's ang- anger subsided. And again, as I read that in English, it sounds like this was a, you know, a rope and a hanging what the, I need to learn more about this, quite honestly, but what the commentaries are, are all convinced of is that that word for gallows in the Persian Empire meant more like a stake, like, like a wooden stake that, that they killed you on, like piercing through your body and hanging there. So I, maybe that was just the Persian way of execution, and that's why they, the commentaries are saying that. So maybe that's what happened here. But whatever it is, Haman is killed on the gallows that he intended to kill Mordecai with. So his own evil plan comes back on himself. I've got three things I hope we'll notice from this section. And I hope it's, it's been good for me. I hope it's been good for you. Uh, I had only preached Esther before this in just one sermon. You know, just, just one sermon. Here's what happened in Esther. It's been good for me to slow down and just take it piece by piece and try to soak in some of these details So that's what we try to do each time. And I've got three from this section that I hope we notice. Number one, the thing that really sticks out to me, God is always on time. (laughs) And the phrase I heard preachers say and I've heard grandparents say, um, God may not come when you want him to, but he is always on time. (laughs) And that has always stuck with me. Like That's just a a great statement of faith. And sometimes in the Bible... We're told of how things happen from God's perspective. For example, Job, the book of Job. We know God's perspective in the book of Job. Job doesn't know. And so from, from, in the book of Job, we know why Satan's tempting Job. We know why these things happen. Job does not know. So we get heaven's perspective and not earth's perspective. In Esther, it's flipped. In Esther, we don't see heaven. In fact, you remember the name God is not mentioned, it seems intentionally. He's hinted at all over the place. We don't say his name. It seems to be intentionally trying to show us the human side of that dynamic. Job shows us heaven's side and, and Esther shows us earth's side. And one thing you see from earth's side is oftentimes we see God working in the timing. We see God bringing the events together. And boy, they happen here, don't they? At just the right night before Haman's about to go ask for Mordecai's life, the king can't sleep. And they bring in the records. And they just happen to read about Mordecai saving the king's life, however long ago it was. What what a crazy coincidence. Or or you're seeing the pieces of God putting it together. And you probably look back at your own life and you look at times that you say, I didn't see that there was a a flashing light from God when that happened. Or there was no note in the mail that said, "This, this is happening from God. But as I see those pieces come together... Sure seems like God was working there. Sure seems like the timing was God pulling things together at just the right moment. I've got a few verses here to go with these that hopefully give each verse gives a little bit different shade of, of meaning 
with these lessons. Here in Acts chapter 1, just reminds us, this is after Jesus rose again. He's about to ascend back to the Father. And they ask him, the apostles ask him, is this the time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. One of the frustrating parts of life is we don't know the timing. We don't know. We all have times when we're trying to read the tea leaves of life. Like, is this what God wants me to do? Is this what God wants? And and we don't always know. We are on our side. We're on the Esther side of eternity. And we don't see it all. We don't see it all coming together. We know God is working. You see it all over the Bible. But we don't always know the timing. What we do know is God knows timing better than we do. And I'm thankful for that. We see it all over Scripture. For example, Galatians 4 verse 4. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. At at the perfect time, Jesus comes to earth. Many people, even outside of Christianity, will say, you know what, it seems like Christianity started at the perfect moment. That's the reason people even outside will say, that's the reason Christianity grew like it did. Because you you had Roman peace. What a perfect time where you had peaceful times. There weren't wars all the time. You had, you had these roads that the Romans had built. You had Greek culture everywhere. You had Jews in every city where the message could spread through the Jewish synagogues. Uh, even those outside Christianity will say, boy, it just seems like a perfect moment. A perfect moment for the message of Jesus to spread all over the world. And that's why it did. Uh, at the perfect time, Galatians 4, 4 says, God sent Jesus. He knew what that moment needed to be. He, he knew how it would change what had come before and how it would change what would come after. At the perfect time, He came. At the perfect time, Romans 5, 6 says, He died for us. At the right time. I may not have known the right time. You may not have known the right time. God knows the right time. What Scripture tells us repeatedly is God does know the timing, even if I do not. The last verse I've got up here is part of what Elijah read before I got up here. Isaiah chapter 40 Verse 31, one of the favorites. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I hope you and I learn to wait. Now, sometimes God has to wait on us. Now, sometimes He's letting us make decisions. Sometimes I'm the problem. Sometimes someone else is the problem. Sometimes we're not coming around. God is trying to be patient. But over and over in Scripture, God's trying to show us Abraham promises a son 25 years later. Um, that's when it had to come together. Abraham tries all sorts of things in between to try to speed it up. That's not God, God had the timing. His challenge was to wait faithfully. Moses, age 40, uh, he, Acts chapter 7 tells us he's 40 years old. He kills the Egyptian and he thinks everybody's going to join the rebellion. All the Israelites, come on, this is our time to get out of Egypt. And nobody's listening to him. And so he goes off to Midian. Forty years pass. God shows up and says, now I want you to go back to Egypt. And if you're Moses, you're thinking, I tried that 40 years ago. God says, no, now, now's the time. And you're Moses is full of excuses. God knows the timing. We don't know the timing. God knows the timing. May God help us to learn to wait faithfully. And faithfully is a key part of that. Not just wait. Wait faithfully. Don't miss the plan because you jump off ship when you don't understand why the plan's taking longer than we want it to take. Wait faithfully. You see in Esther, God is always on time. Number two, 
I see in this passage also, God will reward our good deeds, even if no one else recognized them. Mordecai saves the king's life. It sounds like there wasn't even a thank you. (laughs) Just went on, just went on. Now, he could have got real bitter about that. I imagine if that was Haman, he would have got real bitter. Why am I not being honored? Why is nobody telling me how great I am? Um, But Mordecai just keeps working. He just keeps serving. Um, No bitterness, no, no, I'm out of here, I'm going to find me a new job. He, he, He knows he's done good. He's done good for the king. He's done good in God's eyes. And he's just going to keep serving, even if no one else notices. You probably have those things that you've done good, and maybe you didn't even get a thank you for it. Maybe no one else even saw it. Maybe only God saw it. Maybe God and, and His angels and eternity, they saw it, but no one else did. There's not always thank yous like there should be. I hope as a church that we're trying to encourage each other and, and say thank you and, and try to point out where, where good deeds are being done to, to try to keep us all going. Sometimes we just we won't see it. We won't know. The thank yous won't be there. And it's going to be real tempting to say, you know, nobody notices. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop doing good. I'm going to try and do good and nobody seems to care. Don't do that. Mordecai has done good at the right time. It all comes back around. At the right time, he's rewarded. A few verses about that. Remember Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. As Jesus sends out his 12 apostles to go around teaching, he tells them in verse 42, Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. God is paying attention to even the, the small cups of cold water that are handed out. God doesn't forget these things. Even if no one else notices, God sees it. Trust God. You've done right. He's going to reward it at the right time. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. This is a passage to hang your life on. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That is a principle of life. Uh, What you put your time into is going to come back. What you don't put your time into will not build in your life. If you put your life and time into God, put your life and time into sin. Verse 8, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you will just keep doing good, he says you're going you're gonna to reap that. That reward's not lost. It's, it, it hadn't, the good deed hadn't just disappeared from history. God saw it if no one else did. God is paying attention, even if no one else is. And then one more verse on this, Hebrews 6, verse 10. He says, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work. God's not unjust. He's not forgetting. Even if no one else notices, even if no one else realizes, keep serving God, keep keep planting good seeds, keep sowing to the Spirit, and God will reward at the right time in the right place in this life or the next or both. Let's keep serving. Mordecai found that out. And then number three, we're just reminded again, the wicked will be punished. We're tempted to wonder sometimes. We're in a fallen world where sometimes sin seems to win, and we forget that we're on a timeline, and God really is still in control. Haman is celebrating one night how he's going to have Mordecai killed, and his day of victory comes, he thinks, and God pulls it all out from underneath him. And that's what happens to the wicked. Don't don't join the wicked thinking that's the path to victory. It is not. The time of judgment does come. 
may not be today, may not be tomorrow, may not be next year, may not be the year after that. The time of judgment does come. And if you're going the wrong path, it's going to catch up. Um, our sins will find us out, as the book of Numbers says. But I've got up here a couple others. Proverbs 16, verse 18. We see this in Haman. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. That's that Proverbs 16 we read in our extended scripture. This is a little further down. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before stumbling. Don't, don't be prideful. Don't think you can beat God. Don't think you found a better way than God. That's, that's the wrong path. And then Psalm 37. If, you're, if you find yourself frustrated at the world, open to Psalm 37 and just read it. You're going to have your days. Um, maybe today. Go home. Read Psalm 37. And just be reminded that God is paying attention. And God sees who thinks they're winning and who is not. And so he starts off, he says, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. Sometimes you're tempted to think, hey, they seem to be doing great, and they're just living sinful lives. Like they're openly flaunting God, and the world seems to love it. Maybe I should just join in with that. He says, don't, don't worry about that stuff. That is a temporary phenomenon, is what Psalm 37 says. It's trying to remind us of perspective. Verse 2 says, they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Mordecai may have thought every day, why is Haman so powerful? Why is he the second in command? Why, why does he have everything? He hates me. He's probably going to kill me any day now. He, he's going to kill our people. He's going to kill all of us. Why is, why is he winning? Well, God knew something. That, that stuff doesn't last. He's, he's not winning. He looks like he's winning. He's not winning. Psalm 37 says, that stuff all disappears. Down in verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait. There it is again. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. That little do not fret phrase that comes up over and again. It, it makes me laugh because I don't use the word fret a lot. But, but don't, don't worry. Don't let it bother you. Don't let it trouble you that the bad guys look like they're winning. That's all going to disappear. Wait for the Lord. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Here it is again. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. Mordecai might have been tempted to think, you know what, I'm just going to fight fire with fire here. I'm going to try to kill Haman. He's trying to kill our people. I'm going to go after him. He, he might have had all sorts of temptations to do evil things. That wasn't his idea. We're going to try to do this the right way. You're going to have people that hurt you. And you're going to be tempted to say, you know what, I'm going to fight fire with fire. They're winning doing the wrong thing. Maybe I should just do the wrong thing. He says, no, that, that leads to evil doing. Don't, don't do that stuff. Verse 9, for evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Life is such a battle for perspective, isn't it? Just to remember the big picture that, that if you're following God, you're doing the right thing, even if no one else thinks it. Let's remind ourselves the wicked will be punished. Let's make sure we're standing with God. In the middle of life, those of us who don't know the times or the epics that God has planned, as Jesus said in Acts 1, sometimes it's easy to forget. We forget who wins. We forget that doing the right thing is always the right thing. We forget God hadn't forgot about us. We forget God has promised He's going to reward the right. We, we forget and we struggle. Sometimes faith is a timing issue. Just waiting for the timing to come together. God waiting on us or waiting on someone else or waiting on circumstances. And, and if we just wait faithfully, what God is trying to remind us in Scripture over and over, He knows the timing. 
He hadn't forgot. He hadn't gone to sleep. He hadn't retired. He is still working in his world. So let's you and I are challenged as we start a new week. Let's learn to trust. Not telling you it's easy, not telling you I'm there. But let's learn to try to trust God's timing. That he knows what he's doing. And I'm going to look back from all eternity, just like the book of Esther, this nice finished 10 chapter book. I'm going to look back from all eternity and say, God knew what he was doing. I didn't know what he was doing all the time. I didn't know what I was doing all the time. But God knew what he was doing. And he brought it all together at the right time. If you and I can learn to wait faithfully, it'll make a really big difference in our life and it will let God work through us in a more powerful way. Tonight as we sing this next song, if we can help you in any way publicly, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to see you become a Christian if you come in tonight ready to do that. As always, if you'd like to talk privately, please talk with us. We're honestly trying to help each other follow the Lord. That's what we're here for. Let us know if we can help in any way. But maybe tonight you've come in ready. We're going to sing a song to try to encourage us to follow God together. If you'd like prayers, if you'd like to become a Christian, please come to the front now while we stand, while we sing.